0: Welcome to the Growth Pulse Podcast, where we take a deep dive in the world of business to business sales. We talk to some of the world's leading salespeople, sales leaders, experts in sales technology, and thought leaders in today's best sales skills and techniques. In this episode, we're talking to Dan Lodge. Dan has worked with some of the world's most innovative sales organizations. He started his career as a BDR with Alterian and worked his way through to being a leading strategic rep and sales leader. Moving to Salesforce, where he was one of the leading account execs in their fastest ever growing portfolio of the marketing cloud. He rounded out his account exec career with Dropbox, helping to launch their enterprise solutions globally. Stepping into leadership, Dan was the global VP of sales at Blue Dot, a leading marketing platform in the geofencing space. Most recently, he was the global VP of sales for Cascade, a business strategy tech platform. From the Growth Pulse team, please welcome your hosts, Daniel Bartels and Simon Peterson. Simon, how are you?
1: Good, Dan. How are you doing?
0: I'm really good. How's your, uh, How's the, the last sort of week or so been? You been busy?
1: Well, I've been uh, pretty busy. Lots of job interviews and I uh, went up to the farm for the weekend. Um, spent three Lovely. days up near Mudgee. Awesome. Yeah, very relaxing, very cold, lots of fires. And I actually uh, chopped down a couple of trees for firewood too.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Got
1: very busy. Yeah. How yeah. so are you, mate?
0: Mate, I was down in Melbourne over the weekend. I had my, uh, daughter's 11th birthday and she, uh, a big Harry Potter fan. So we went down to see the, um, the Harry Potter show, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Very exciting. Um, oh, nice. quite a good show. Lovely. It's been a cold weekend down in Melbourne, which, yep. which is always nice. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And we've got Dan Lodge on today. Yeah. So very excited. He's obviously uh, um, a superstar in the, in the, the SaaS tech world and, and sales, huge amount of experience. So very excited to talk to him. Um, you know, I'm, I'm super interested to uh, sort of get an idea of, of, his experience in sort of moving from big tech into to the startup land and, and all those things in between. Um, but close some of the biggest deals that I've seen, uh, in his, uh, in his enterprise sales career. So that's a pretty exciting thing as well.
1: Absolutely. And I, I believe he started as a uh, BDR all those years ago. Can't wait to hear about it. Oh.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Let's bring him in. Hold on.
2: Dan. Hold on. Here we go. Dan.
0: <laughs>
1: Welcome.
2: Gentlemen. Good morning. How are you yeah. both?
0: Very, very good, mate. How
2: was, how, how was morning? your weekend? Very well. Good morning. Good. Yeah. It was a good one, actually. Um, birthdays, um, catching up with friends and a fairly relaxing yesterday, which was wonderful for those in the, Long weekend is perfect. Real good, mate. You're, you're still down at Bondi, First aren't you? Birthday weekend for me. me. Still down at Bondi, mate. Still living the dream.
0: You, you're not part of uh, these group of people complaining about the apparently the, the trees going into is it north or south Bondi, and they're all getting up in arms about it, apparently. And you've got to complain,
2: mate. I'm English. It's part of my DNA. <laughs> 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 oh,
1: yeah, we've got far too many trees at Bondi. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, Dan, like, thanks for joining the podcast. Um, sort of as, as per the, uh, the intro, mate, come, come with a, uh, with a, with a significant resume. Um, like all things, we all suffer from imposter syndrome. When you hear someone talk about yourself, you're like, hold on, is that me?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Dan, look, mate, you, as we, as we kind of intro, look, you know, you started as a BDR. Um, you know, when we worked together at Salesforce, you know, you were one of the leading account execs in the marketing mm-hmm. cloud space off the Dropbox working with our good friend Charlie Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then went on to do a whole bunch of sales leadership roles after that. I, what do you reckon is the biggest difference or between being a BDR and a rep? What are your thoughts on that?
2: BDR and a rep. That's a really good question. <clears throat> um, I think. I think it's a mindset, right? I think there's a certain amount of mindset there that you understand you've got to get your small wins as a BDR, but they're not yeah. small wins to you. You know, as long as you're focused on your metrics and your numbers, I don't think they're dramatically different. You mm-hmm. know, I really don't. I think if you just get, you know, you know what you've got to do to be successful. You know what you have to do. It's it's a proven um, uh, equation. Number of calls, number of meetings, yeah. build your brand, Onwards and onwards. That said, though, Dan, um, I know we had a conversation about this the other day. I don't know how I'd get on today, being a BDR. Yeah. I think the world's changed. Yeah. What do you what think, is that? Simon? It's different. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's you know, I was different. Say
1: it's very different.
2: Hmm. Sorry, mate. The reason I think it's different is um, I don't think it's as successful anymore. I was reading a study the other day. It was one of the, the VCs, and they said that, you know, I think even as close as t- um, 2020, 20, 40% of um, outbound meetings generated or, or pipeline closed was from BDRs. And in the last year and a half, it's dropped down to about 18 19%. So obviously the world's changed. I think we've got that great big elephant in the room with AI but before we get to that, I think it's now a lot more about building your brand, yeah. and I think mm-hmm. if you look at these reps that are being successful in certain verticals, not everyone you know maybe not the enter enterprise stuff because they're sort of on a one to one relationship level, but people who are trying to generate inbound a lot of it is building this business this building your own brand, and I think that that's such a big part of it now. And I think that people who don't embrace that and don't embrace this, you know, sometimes it may not be you. You may find yourself, you know, a little bit pressed to say these things. It might even sound cheesy coming out of your mouth. But the reality mm. is it's content. You've got to be there. You've got to be visible. You need to be the expert in that space. It's no longer about Going in and just doing your phone calls or just doing your emails and making sure your content's good. It's a bigger piece to it. It's a, you've got to be in the right places. You have to be visible. You know, people don't pick up the phone call from um, cold calls as much anymore. So, you know, when's the last time you answered a call that you didn't know the number? It's pretty rare. So you need to be building your brand. You need to be visible. You need to be connecting with people. You need to be commenting on their posts. I think it's social selling has gone right. The way across that you know, being a BDR now is as important as that building your brand, as it is to build a BNAE or even a, a CEO of your business. Yeah.
1: yeah, I notice a lot of um, BDRs probably rely too much on LinkedIn. What, what are your thoughts? I think I get I get a lot of LinkedIn messages from BDRs that go for the you know the presumptive close as they're introducing themselves to. It's uh, highly fitting from my perspective.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that as far as as a direct channel to reach out. I think you're right. But I think that you need to be using LinkedIn in a different way. It's not about the presumptive close, I don't think. It's not about, you know, here's my email message, accept me and then I'm going to ask you for a meeting. I think that's gone. So, But I do think it's about, you know, like I said before, hearing in the places you know, in these groups, in these other conversations with peers of people, just get in there and really sort of, you know, be part of those conversations. Visibility. I think the only other yep. thing
0: that's changed dramatically for an AE comparative to even when I started in sales, when I started my first direct B2B sales, I was an insurance broker.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, we had a we had a full time role. Um it was a female filling the role, so <laughs> she was an admin assistant. Because it took so long for you to generate insurance contracts, it wasn't worth the business's time and effort to have me as a as a salesperson off the road building a proposal. So you put on a full-time executive to do that. Well, we use tech to do that now. And managing my calendar, well, I've got Calendly, and I've got all these things to, to speed all those processes through. And I think so much of that for that BDR role has now become it's superfluous, or it's just an unnecessary gatekeeping between what actually needs to happen. And to your point around having the having the right um, uh, access and, and, and knowledge and business acumen, I'm, I'm not interested in talking to a first year salesperson, first three month salesperson who has no idea about the solutions or the products we're talking about, or the problems that I'm having. I want to talk to the VP or the, even if it's, you know, long-tenured strategic salesman, sure, no problems. You've been doing this for 15 years, amazing, I want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to your admin assistant. That's not the person that I want to talk to. And I think so many, you know, you mentioned tech and AI, and so many of these things are easy now for you to, I mean, here's the three of us. I don't have anybody else helping build put this together. You know, I'm pressing the buttons to make this yeah. podcast work. Um, whereas back in the day we would have gone to a venue and there'd be someone sitting in the back room pressing the buttons and just we don't need that. So I think that role of a of that functionary below you is becoming less and less valuable and people see the gatekeeper process as unnecessary, which then asks the question of, okay, so how do I get my start? How, how do I step into sales? Um, so I want to be a salesperson. You know, what's the what's the thing that I need to to do to step into that that first
2: level? What, what what do you mean, as in role or as in what?
0: Well, I know when I when I you know my my very first sales role, I sold mobile phones. Um, and someone had to take a punt and said, "You've never sold mobile phones before. I'm I'm now happy for you to stand in a shop and pretend that you know how to sell mobile phones." Someone being a BDR, whether you're stepping into a, a startup or one of the larger tech firms, you've never sold before. But I'm definitely not giving you a territory with a you know, million-dollar quota or even half million-dollar quota when you've never sold before. That typically entry that entry point used to be a BDR. So if you don't have those roles anymore or they're becoming less and less, like there's a, there's a much smaller pipeline of people coming through,
2: how do you fill that? So that's a really good question. I don't think I've even thought that far ahead <clears throat> to be honest with you. Um, I think that it's, it's a really interesting, right? The role must exist because there needs to be a way into it. Mm. You know, there is maybe it's maybe yeah. as you said then, maybe it's not a BDR. Maybe it's more of a sales admin. Maybe it's, maybe it's someone who can shadow or share or maybe there's certain Maybe enablement becomes more focused around you know people who are shadowing and are actually doing the job rather than yep. reading it out of the book, reading it out of a textbook, because there's certain things in. I guess. Um, Sorry, some. Yeah, that's all right. I guess you know one of
1: my experiences is when I'm talking to salespeople that are a bit more tenured, and you know the role of the BDR, etc. Um, I, I challenge you both to say it's how a salesperson uses the BDR and how they engage them in all of the activities of the sales cycle to get the best out of them. So Mm. I'm not going to just ask them to call A to F today and say, get me 10 meetings. I'm going to sit down with my territory. I'm going to prioritise them. I'm going to have a conversation about the problems I get to solve, and I'm going to involve my BDR as a collaborator rather than as a flunky that just goes and makes a bunch of calls. So I think, to your point, Dan... You know, starting out young in sales, you don't know what you're doing. As you work with a seasoned salesperson and do more meaningful tasks, you'll come up to speed faster, you'll get a good sense of what the problem you're trying to solve with your customer, and you'll get a flow of the the sales cycle. And, yes, you've got to do some of the mundane tasks, but I think our challenge as sales leaders is about inspiring our sales guys to use their VDRs way differently.
2: Yeah, but then you put a little bit more pressure on the on the sales person, the AE, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone has a different way. There, I've worked with salespeople who are inclusive, who want to be part of that and want to use you in the journey. And then I've got others, the typical lone wolf, that don't want you anywhere near. And all you're doing is going to the cafe, the coffee shop, the coffee shop, and just bringing back a latte. There are two different approaches to that, so there needs to be a certain pathway still. You know, you're, you being a successful rep, uh, a BDR rep can't just depend on who you've got as a, as a, as a mentor. Being that it will.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question, Dan. Yeah, I mean, no, I you and I, I know, over our career have both been uh, called lone wolves at different stages, <laughs> but I don't think anybody would regard us now as being lone wolves. What do you think? No. What do you think the, the maturity I think there's a thing that takes you from, being one of the team into being a lone wolf and then there's another maturity curve that gets you out of it again, right? What do, what do you think that looks like? I mean, in your, in your experience, I kind of know what, what happened to me, but what, what was your
2: kind of experience kind of going through that that trajectory? Yeah, I think for a long time, um, I, I was very lucky when I was at Ulterior and I did, went through the BDI route that I worked with a guy called Chris Chu and he's one of the best sales leaders, sales people I've ever met in my life, Right and i feel like there there was bits i understood what he was doing but because it was a very small company and very small um uh team it really was just try and replicate little bits of it without understanding why he did it and mm. i felt that i got to this position where i'd made it through with you know a relatively quick on the feet you know a bit of charisma and i felt i got to a certain point But then it all came crashing it down with, with one big particular deal and, uh, I realized that I was nowhere near. I was absolutely nowhere near this deal. I didn't understand anything. And when I started to unpick it and unpack what was going on, there were so many things I didn't know about the selling pro, the sale, the process, their buying process, who I was selling to. It was single threaded. Yeah. 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 Loads of these issues. And it really got me to start thinking about what was important to me as a salesperson and how I needed to do that. And that was my first change. And then the second change is when I started thinking about, after that had worked and I'd been super successful, we'd had that great couple of years at Salesforce. I had two wonderful years at Salesforce. And the third year was tough, right? My Mm. third year was a lot tougher than Salesforce. I think you, Dan, you managed to um, evolve quicker into selling a different Mm. product space and the culture i think you got a bit quicker than i did um and that put me in a place that i didn't like being in which was i wasn't number one i wasn't the top dog and i hated that so again that started me thinking the same process i went before Mm -hmm. which was great i've been this lone wolf i'd copied from a lone wolf i'd learned all the process that i felt i had then it was time to reassess again Mm -hmm. you know and i think when it's not going well that's when it challenges you. I think Roosevelt said, calm seas don't make a good sailor. And I think yeah. that's absolutely it. You know, if I was to survive yeah. in that box, in that box at Salesforce, I could carry on being successful. When it changed, even within Salesforce, yeah. I didn't evolve quick enough. And I think everyone would have said the same thing. It was, you know, what's happened to Dan Lodge? He's gone from, you know, where's he now? And I think that was a real key part in in me becoming less of a, a lone wolf i really understanding what I needed to do and how I needed to leverage other people. Wow, what a story! I love it. <laughs>
1: there
2: you go. So you, and and, and,
1: and, and, and am, I, am I allowed to ask uh, about how old you are or how many years of sales experience before you oh, sort of started to learn like that?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it's I mean it's constantly evolving, right? Let's not beat around the bush. But that particular one was 2016. Well. When were we at Salesforce? Down twelve to
0: so it was twelve. Oh, I joined twelve, so that's okay, probably 16, me, 16. sixteen.
2: Yeah. So what's that? Ten years ago, thirty, mid thirties.
0: Yeah, and that, that was that was the evolution into yep. you know we went from selling um, what was Radian Six and Buddy Media, and there was an evolution of of social media tech at the time. Um, they acquired Exact Target. We had to go from selling a... Uh, a product that that you sold to one group of people to here is this entire other suite of solutions. Again, you see this in organisations all the time, yeah. right? So everybody is trying to find that next add on that they can either go back and sell to their current customers or mm-hmm. expand into a new market. You're either expanding mm-hmm. vertically within a region, you might be going regionally, or whatever it may be. And just because you were successful last year doesn't necessarily mean you'll be successful next year. Yeah, you know, and I and I think it's I actually saw um. Of all people, that Ed Sheeran talking about this on on a, on a clip on the weekend, and he talks about the fact that you know his greatest his greatest steps forwards in his career came from abject failure, where he'd launched a song and it failed, or he'd run a mm-hmm. concert, and no one turned up, or you know all these things that he learned along the way. And he said, "I'm actually really interested in the people who are putting out crap music." Um, he said, "I'm, I'm interested in the, on the fact of the that." where did they come from and how far have they evolved? And now I can kind of see someone in two or three years that I'm going to be able to collaborate with because of where they've evolved into. I think that's a really, you know, we all look in, inside our, like, teams and, and in our organisations for that person who's sitting at the top. What we don't look for is that person that, and Dan and I have worked with some great people who have gone from BDR into account executive, one of them's sitting in Singapore now, and she's a she's a phenomenal partner manager. Um, and like that, those transitions of learning along the way, and she's had some significant failures along the way. I'm sure she'll, I'll get her on them, we'll, we'll, we'll ask her about it. But, um, oh, yeah, I, I think <laughs> yeah. we focus on those wins so much rather than the times that either the deal slipped or the customer said no, or you didn't get that promotion or you didn't get that role. And what do you, what do you, how do you react from that?
2: That, I mean, that, that's exactly yeah. it, Dan. I mean, that's a hundred percent. If you don't, Learn from your failures. When are you, when are you going to learn? There's no there's no helping you. Yeah. You know, sometimes you go through this place. Like I said before, when I was super successful, and things were working well. Everything just seemed to work, and I just felt I was doing the same thing. And then, as soon as there was a bump in the road, that was when it that's when I had to learn from that. And I think a lot of that comes down to yeah. evolving as a sales person, no longer mm-hmm. relying on your sales skills. You have got to keep learning. So. One of those was becoming a lot more data driven. You know, I really Mm -hmm. started studying the the metrics in which fit into it. You know, there's a there's a reason why the person who's making the most phone calls, sending the most emails, what the content is, all of that stuff is really, really important. And the person who's constantly out there, you know, building their brand, having conversations, it's it's a game that you you need to be visible, you need to be out there, you need to be connecting, you need to be learning, you need to be absorbing so many different data points. That's why mm-hmm. it's the best and hardest job in the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and That's I think – and and you've – and I guess, Dan, you've pivoted again into a different type of role after being a, a salesperson. You, you've led sales teams now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I, mean, lucky I, I
1: guess my – I, I – Sorry, the uh, delay is uh, not great for me. But um, yeah, so I was going to say, as you move into that uh, sort of sales leadership, um, and you kind of turn the tables now, you're seeing people in your team coming through the ranks, coming up against adversity. Um, you know, you're clearly judged as to how you manage your teams. Um, how do you use the knowledge of yourself pivoting into helping others?
2: Yeah, that's a good question, Simon. I think the most important thing I've found about being a leader is, is people you're managing. You know, you're not managing robots. Yep. Everyone is different. Everyone learns differently. Everyone has different motivators in their life. Everyone, le- um, everyone has different things that they want to achieve, you know, family pressures and whatnot. And I think yep. the most important thing about being a leader and whether it's sales leader or anything, is you need to know who you've got in your team and what motivates them. And I think that is such such an important part to everything. And something that we, as sales leaders, we over and overlook, we just look at numbers and we just look at people and we push people and we push people. And it, it doesn't work like that. There's more important things in the world for people's lives. You know, this is a job, right? It's great. Yeah. We earn loads of money. But it's a job. Yep. We're not curing kids from cancer. We're selling. We're selling technology, and I think that's really important. That not everybody's motivated by the same way you are. Not everyone has the same goals that you have. So you can't treat everybody the same. So that I think that was a, as a key piece. And then, suddenly so, I mean, it comes back as we said before, right? Then it comes back to the metrics. Then it comes back to the numbers, and building the right environment. So I think as a sales leader, not only do you need to learn about your people. You also need to understand about the environment in which you build. That environment needs to be open. It needs to be collaborative. You know, and it needs to fit your people. You know, we talk a lot about culture. You know, a culture is not just putting a ping pong table in an office. You know, culture is about encouraging <laughs> people to, get, to win. You know, and I think um, Dan and I, when we were at, um, at Salesforce, that culture of us just sitting in that room, Going through the whiteboard, anything was on the table. You know, you didn't feel like an idiot. You were allowed to have your conversation, you know, and encouraging that yeah, environment in which I could learn was really, really important. I think that's, uh, that's another one that, you know, sales leaders over and off look as well.
0: Yeah, we had some really interesting culture yeah, things I I guess guess I that people, people walk over and, and you, you know, you mentioned putting a, you know, dark or a Ping pong tail in the office it's got nothing to do with culture. And I, I walk into so many offices and say, and when people miss this. So I'll tell these two stories and, and it's, it's probably worthwhile. You know, we, we had two things. One was if you had a deal, um, that you were going to close, you basically were allowed to go and book out. We weren't allowed to. We just did it, right? Um, in fact, we helped each other. we had to, at one meeting room, you had to book, right? And if somebody caught that you'd booked that meeting room ho- the whole day, because you were trying to get a deal closed on that day or at the end of the month or quarter or whatever was happening, whatever the, com- the compelling event was, we would actually all collaborate and work together and say, hold on, Bartels or Logie or, or Pete Graves has got a deal to close. And, and we'd go on back to back book this, this one because this was the closing room and this was where we knew that that person was in closing the room. So you'd help out your colleague because you knew that they needed to have that room the whole day and we had to cover their back. The fact that Nobody else was going to go and step in and go, oh, you need to get out of Bondi 4 because that's – no, 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 that's the closing room. Get out. Yeah,
1: it's, it's the closing room.
0: And we had this okay. other thing. Which at one point, Dan had a little sock business on the side. That's what we about my successes, Dan. <laughs> but this is, this is cultural. <laughs> <laughs> like, so w- we had this phenomenal leader, a um, um, woman called Susan St. Ledger, who went on out of Salesforce to go and lead – um, she left, uh, ran Okta, she ran Splunk. And, um, one day she was, she was asking, you know, what, what makes this culture of this Australian business that she was running so phenomenal? And Lodgy and I were sitting there having a, having a beer with her at some event in Chicago or somewhere. And I said, I'll tell you what it is. Lodgy, pull, pull up, pull up your, uh, pull up your pant leg. She's like, what are you talking about? And we've got these colorful socks on. And I pulled mine up and said, here's these colourful socks. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I turned around (laughs) and yelled out to four or five of the other guys and said, pull your pant leg up. And everyone went, no, straight away what what you're talking about. And everybody was wearing a pair of these socks. And we hadn't bought them for the event. Nobody had talked about when we go away, you've got to put these socks on. They were our business time socks. This was when we're a team, we're wearing the socks. And those are the culture <laughs> things that happen in an organisation underneath it, right? And it became so critical and so crucial to who we were as a team that, like, these little, uh, you know, uh, community things that yeah. we built over
2: time. You no? Know? I think the other bit, though, Dan, is that I would bought 10,000 players and I was giving them away for free, probably made everyone wear the same stuff to <laughs> be <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: but I think, but it, it shows <laughs> I love it. What, what's a team, right? When you see people, when you see groups of people do those things, you know, you, you yeah, that's we, we've all we've all watched international sporting events, and when all of a sudden the the people that aren't even playing know the team song, and they all know it, and they all sing it. Like that's what builds and, and drives a community. And then when that team's struggling, they still all turn up and buy a ticket because that's what that means to get behind a group and actually drive a culture and drive a motivation. And I think too often we see Absolutely. Uh, leaders, HR people, whoever, talk about, I'm going to put some, you know, there, there's a constant meme kicking around LinkedIn and Instagram at the moment about, you know, the pizza party. Yeah, it does. That's not what builds a team.
2: It's a hard one
1: because you mm. want to... It sounds <laughs> like um, most of that is organic. Sorry,
2: Simon, you go for it.
1: it sorry. That's all right. Um, it sounds like uh, a lot of what you two are describing there is very organic in terms of it's team building. So nobody forced you to wear the socks. Uh, nobody, you know, forced you into behaving the way you did about that meeting room. Um, I guess as, as a leader now, how do you, how do you encourage that sort of behavior? And I think you, you kind of touched on it before. You, you make people feel wanted and and enjoy their time, et cetera. Yes, you've got to focus on the numbers, but there's something else in there that you, you're kind of describing that builds an organic uh, feeling that a team's really doing well.
2: Yeah. Look, I think you've got to be there ready to invest in people. You've got to be there. They've got to get, you've got to have their back. First things first, right? It's a cutthroat environment sales. Mm -hmm. So everybody needs to know that they have your back and a good sales leader has your back. They have your back above his boss. You know, when they are, when they don't, it's too obvious. The culture's too toxic. You need to protect and you need to encourage, but everybody must be accountable to that. So everybody in that team who wants to be accountable must pull their weight. If you say you're going to do certain things, then great. Then you build that innovative cultural where it's teamwork. I mean, you still need to be competitive. You still need to have the leaderboard who's top dog. But you can't be – it can't be all about that because that then changes the culture. If you don't have Mm -hmm. that environment before, then Mm -hmm. it just becomes a typical salesperson thing, which is, oh, I'm the top dog, I'm doing that. But are you adding more to your team? And I think, again, in my evolution as a salesperson, I've gone through that piece. I feel like now – it's more important for me to add value to people as well as sell big deals. Yep. Yeah.
0: Great. So, I mean, you're actually really good at that. I mean, you know, we, we've worked together for a long time now. And, you know, I, I was always um, struck by, you know, when, when we look at our teams, the ability to look at those people that are performing as well as the people that are not performing in, and how do you either have some difficult conversations sometimes because people can be in the wrong role or just not be in the right space in their lives right now for taking it on, and how do you have those those tough conversations but but also how do you how do you support the person that's sitting at the bottom as well as the person the person that's sitting at the top because they're like you can't just roll out the same motivation tactic for the two people so i mean how do how do you approach that
1: um look, I think um a little bit about uh what uh, d two Uh, just talked about, uh, Dan. Um, Look, I think respecting people, um, you you just get to know them. And I think um, I've worked with a lot of leaders in my life, some that I would uh, absolutely imitate and then some that I would run a mile from being anything like. And I think the, the, the leaders that I really resonated with in my formative years, I didn't feel like they were my boss. They were genuinely interested in the ideas I had, were genuinely interested in um, me wanting to learn a bit of, you know, more about things. So, you know, as a young person growing up, I was genuinely curious. So take the flip side of that. I hire really smart people. Uh, most of them have got, um, you know, pre- pretty significant background. You know, some have come out of the military. Others have flown, um, you know, jet aeroplanes or jumbo jets. Uh, to name a few of the sort of left field people i've hired over the years um i hired the bass guitarist of uh, friends of rum at one point um <laughs> and you may know lex selton um yeah. i i um you know it's and, and i don't only hire people left field but i guess what i'm saying is those sort of people who have done something in their background um are genuinely curious and i think as a leader i then want to talk to people that are just starting out in their career so i'm really curious about them what motivates them and 99 times out of 100, these people have got a wonderful story. So once you get behind the story of the person you're leading and what motivates them a little bit about their family, you talk to them about, hey, look, that presentation you did the other day, that was pretty shit, wasn't it? Um, let's have a, a chat about how you felt going into it, what you thought about beforehand. Did you prepare to, as you were delivering it? Did you know what you are going to talk about, what you want to leave the, the, the prospect with? And you do it in such a way that it's not combative. I know everything and you don't. And I think then the next step is rather than me telling that person how to do a good presentation, it's I think they know how to do it. You tell me, what would you do differently next time? And then we workshop it together. So very much the nature of it is, and it's time-consuming, right? Um, but you can typically knock off a conversation like that in about 30 minutes. And if you're genuinely curious about the person, you dig into them, you understand them, they'll want to do better for you. And they'll come and ask you. And I think the other thing that um, is absolutely critical is you foster that. So it's not just me to my team, it's people amongst each other. So you're allowed to ask a dumb question. You're allowed to say, I don't know what to do next in my deal. And if you have a bunch of people around that see that I'm not going to be overly critical of everybody that makes mistakes, the team themselves will start talking to each other and opening up and learning. So I think that's that's one of the secrets.
2: Simon, on that, really, really, absolutely, I agree with absolutely everything there, and obviously you're a, an expert at this. I have a question for you, if that's all right, on this kind of podcast. How do you know when to... Of course it <laughs> Thanks, mate. How do you know when to stop investing in the person? How do you know when you've created that, you want to invest time in people? How do you know when enough's enough, there's other places that I can be focusing on or helping the other rest of the team, and we may have to manage this person out of the business, for example
1: uh I can think of quite a few of those <laughs> over over the years um look, I think um you know one particular incident I had with a, a a pretty good salesperson um that you know we we got on with it was all good, I felt I would invested a lot of time in helping them and and I got a lot of angst back, um, a lot of anger, a lot of just not really wanting to engage in a two-way conversation. So they weren't angry about something in their personal life. They weren't angry about other things. They just weren't vested in us talking openly to each other. Um, And then when the numbers started to to decline, you just – and I'd always said, look, if I've got a problem with a person, I'm usually pretty honest with them up front. Here's where it's going. Let's work together and if it doesn't get there, they know. Uh, and I remember the conversation I had. It's, look, sorry mate, it's, um, you know, it's time to go. We've, we've had this conversation, but the point I gave up on that is when the two-way conversation wasn't being entertained. It was me trying to lean in and be curious and all I got was a lot of angst and frustration directed at me. Um, and that's, you know, that's a shame. I've had a couple of those. Um, I've had others where I'm really really good friends with the person and I've had to let them go and that's the toughest one that's that really is tough and um the person I'm thinking of is actually a reference for him in his next role so it was never personal um but it was I had to separate what was right for the company and what was right for the person and uh, that person is doing exceptional things uh, in technology elsewhere so you know I think you do have to give up at some point on it um the tell for me Is when they stop investing in the two-way conversation.
2: Yeah. And I think you've just, you know, said a really important piece as well. Not only that, you know, understanding from, you know, you read people obviously being a leader, but not them not investing. The other part, I think was a really interesting point you made, which is, um, surprises are only for birthdays. It can't be a surprise. If someone knows they're going to get, they're having these conversations, it can't be the, Hey, this is your performance review. And they go, what? I had no idea. It's got to be documented. They need to know mm-hmm. everything needs to be accountable, the the, the numbers and the, the expectations. You know, there needs to be almost a team charter in place. I want you to commit to win, and I want you mm-hmm. to commit to do these other things. You've got to update Salesforce. You've got to mm-hmm. do your handover doc this way. You've got to engage yeah. with SEs and, yep. and um, uh, the CSM team in this way. And once you've committed to that, then I've got something that we've all got as a base mark and a benchmark. And from that commitment, mm-hmm. then there's no surprises because you've not done this, 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 and this. And I've got real examples. Mm-hmm. It no longer becomes personal. It no longer becomes, oh, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like you. It's because you didn't do these five, these five or six things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I
0: think, I, I think sales is kind of unique in that perspective because unlike many other roles, we have a built-in barometer Measure scoreboard of what your results are, what, on whatever time frame you measure them. And typically, even if you're on a annual number, I'm recording the numbers along, along the way. If you're on a quarterly a monthly, weekly, daily, whatever it is, like you know along the way how I'm performing. You know, if you're in retail and you've got a, you've got a daily number, you know by lunchtime, <laughs> I'm not going to get there today, right? If you're on a monthly number, you know yep. on the yep. weeks through the month that hey i haven't I just don't have the runs on the board that this is going to look pretty bad and and I think there's an ownership on on leaders to be able to say to their people it's not just the number it's the things that go towards the number and yes you can swing and, and close a big deal and get yourself out of trouble but do you have the pipeline have you got the the general motions happening behind that that this can be consistent that hey, you're going to perform at the level that, that we continue to afford to pay you the way we're paying you because we don't produce anything else. Salespeople only produce new revenue. We don't produce continued revenue. That's account management. That's a different role altogether. You know, and and I think the, the you know, for us as leaders, though, we've got to look at, it's not just the outputs. It's the things that get you to the outputs that we have to measure them on and, and we have to coach them on and, and work people along the way. But I think you've also got to own that as a salesperson as well. You've got to understand if I'm not getting success, and if I'm not getting that leadership from my boss, and sometimes you won't get it. Sometimes that person may be a phenomenal leader for 80% of the rest of the team, but you just don't get along. It's on you. Are you going yeah. to go and get that leadership from somebody else, that mentorship or find a coach or whatever it is, right? Talk to two-level boss, whatever the story is. You've got to kind of do that as well. But as leaders, you've got to own that story and say, is this person, like, are we
2: giving them all the, all the tools to win? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Dan, Um, especially in a big business where you understand where it's a sausage machine. You know what goes in, you know what comes out roughly, right? Mm
1: -hmm. But it's
2: also really important in some of these smaller organizations. And some of the smaller organizations, you are the barometer, so I must trust you as a salesperson. I must trust you as a sales team to do what's needed to be done. Because then from then, we have an early barometer in how do we have product market fit. Yeah. Are we selling into the right space? Are we mm-hmm. really going after our, um, the, our ideal customer? You know, and without understanding that and doing the right things, we never know. And if we're too, if we're a year late on that, on finding out these numbers or we can't trust the people, we're going to make bad business decisions as leaders, you know, especially leaders who are trying to steer mm-hmm. the ship in the right direction. I've been in, in places before where there wasn't a great product market fit and, that's a really important thing, and that's not the salesperson's fault. But no. it is. there's a little bit on the salesperson to provide that feedback so that those decisions can be made.
0: Yeah, I think that's um, yep. it's an interesting question there about the, the actual role of marketers versus salespeople, right? And, you know, people think marketers are advertisers, and they're not. They, they build markets. They, they build uh, an understanding of where does our product fit and where does it sit? I mean, you know, we, we've all three of us on this call, uh, have, have worked in organizations where because we're big enough, we probably don't have any product market fit, but we're big enough to kind of ram this stuff down a whole bunch of people's throat and actually create product market fit rather than there fundamentally being one at the beginning. Um, and a market shifts because you've got a, um, you know, Big, big German brand on a, or a big American brand sitting on top of this, and as a result, everybody thinks it's good. Um, it isn't necessarily the case, and there's a whole bunch of competitors who've probably got a better product than you, but they don't have as wider wider sales team, or um, you know, a, a, as good a fit to you know just getting people through the door to, to run those transactions. So it's an interesting sort of challenge for organisations. <laughs>
1: Isn't that part of the fun working for smaller businesses after working for a really big one or two in your career? Well, Dan, I know that's your path.
2: Oh, God, it is. It is. Um, absolutely. But, um, before I take that one, I was just back to, uh, Dan's comment. I think one thing I believe is, especially in a smaller company, everything mm. must, I mean, the big companies all right. Everything must be aligned. And I think the most important thing about this is everybody, everybody must speak the same language because you get so many places where there are bits between what's the marketer speaking? I'm speaking, you know, conversions, click rates, etc. That's not the same language that the salesperson. Oh, I'm talking about pipeline generated, mm-hmm. you know? And having a consistent conversation or consistent language across the whole organization is massively important. And it's important because what you what the markets are seeing, what the salesperson is seeing, the customer success team is seeing, needs to be adopted or understood by product, by engineering, because they're the people who are yep. taking the organisation in the right direction. So we should be thinking about what's the pain that we're solving for. That's important. And what's the impact? And that must be consistent across the whole organisation because like you said, damn building Building markets is is important, but you need every. If you're building a market without the right product to put into that, well, you know, then you're going in the wrong direction. So, yeah, that's something I I certainly have um have come across, and uh and come and uh and been on the tougher end of the harder part of you know sales is the easy people to point the finger at. You're not you're not doing enough but if the market is not getting the right results or providing that feedback to each other and have the wrong KPIs and that we have the, the wrong ones for product as well then you know we're going to have a mixed, messed up business but so I mean you're right I have been in that that place between a larger company I mean at the time Salesforce wasn't the behemoth it is today so I presume it doesn't have didn't have the same yep. politics there were some politics there but it was always An incredibly well-oiled machine. And I think there's some really key, um, points that we need to take. And again, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, it's a mind, a mindset shift. It really is. If you want to go and move into a, a move from a sales force and SAP, whoever, and you want to go into startup world, well, then you can't, you've got to go with your eyes wide open. You've got to go in expecting that you, the buck stops with you. Everything you must do, you must wake mm-hmm. up in the morning thinking. It depends on your seniority in, in the company, whatsoever. But yeah. every time you want to do a job, you must make sure it's done. I don't know how many times the, the first organization at Ulterian with uh, with um, the management there, and it was a simple question like, right, I need to print out this contract. Is that? Do we have a printer? No. Do we have paper? No. And <laughs> that it was... Just get in your car, down, pop up the road, and go to Office Works, and buy one. That was the answer, but you, that was a mindset. Yep. It was like, oh, okay, get it over. Otherwise, that's going to waste half a day. Yeah. You know, conversations about things that yep. are sort of irrelevant. So it's certainly, I believe, a massive mindset. But there's some there's some really important things that you uh you can take from that. I think make sure you've got a really strong value prop. That's something that. Bigger organizations tend to do better than small organizations. Smaller organizations tend to have a good piece of technology. And do they have a market fit? Do yep. they have, you know, is it, is it a, a CEO's vanity or an engineer's vanity that we're fixing here? Do you have a, a strong value prop?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm-hmm. and then the other part, I think that the biggest gap that we always fell into or had fallen into is, do we really understand our target market? Do we really understand that target market? Do we know what we're trying to do here? Do we know what they do? You know, if you think about the as Salesforce has moved and progressed into even um, industry focuses. It's great mm.
1: you
2: know about the industry focus. They're bringing in really smart people from that industry. They're bringing in retail experts. They're bringing in car manufacturing experts. And that's great because that knowledge, you can't just develop a product and go to market without doing a day's work in that environment you know we were selling up uh, Blue Dot it was mm-hmm. we are selling to um, uh, fast food and we, we worked out there was only two people in the organisation you'd ever worked in a fast food organisation before but That's we problem. all needed to understand how it worked right we all needed to see what their pains were we needed to yep. we need to be behind the counter we need to see what the burger comes out and put the sauce on and serve the people and people come through the car we had no understanding of that so really define that target market and learn about it is things that I think it obviously comes down to resourcing. You know, small organisations don't have that luxury that they can bring in the CEO of Renault or whatever it is and bring them in. It's, it's a hard thing to do.
0: So how did you fix that yeah. problem? You're, you're, you're yeah, blue a blue dot and you don't, yeah. Yeah, you, don't, you don't have any fast food knowledge and, and, you know, you guys are a deer
2: fencing business. Yeah, yeah, how did you close the gap? Then you, look, you have to. You have to get out there and do it. It's come back to the startup mentality. You know, I, we even got the team at one point to. So, what we were doing at Blue Dot was um, the click to collect process, that whole process from order and then you pick it up. So, we even created a process where we wanted the team to be in fast food restaurants. I wanted them in there. I wanted to see mm-hmm. how many people, were, how many cars were coming through. What was the typical experience for people? How many people were served? How many people turned away? How many people got and saw the line was too big? really understand that and that just simply came from I want you to go and sit outside there. I want you to go and sit there. I want you to record it. Mm-hmm. It was also good because then you could go and speak to the customer and say, hey, look, I know your environment because I was actually sat out there on Thursday afternoon and I know you had this many people come through, that many people through the the drive-through. Therefore, if you could improve, improve your process by 30 seconds, 40 seconds, whatever it was, mm-hmm. you're starting to have a, a conversation about business value again, no longer about a piece of technology, mm-hmm. which is a location piece of technology you 're having a conversation about fifty cars coming through and saving thirty seconds. Well, hold on a minute times that by how many franchisees do you own? how many does are there in the in the you know in the yeah. you 've got a business case and mm-hmm. learning about that business case it also yep. helps you then define the product you want to build because you understand the pain point point but Dan it was. You know, there was nowhere better
0: than just go in there and sit there and spend time in there. Yeah, yeah. I kilos, yep. but I think a lot of reps forget that, right? Which is just get involved in your customer's business somehow. Um, I mean, yeah. look, you know, we we all, we all worked with a, a particular Dutchman who was who's renowned for it, and he would go and do. Do time in different organizations or do ride alongs, right? And, and for, and he's a senior, senior strategic rep now, now runs teams, but he would do it regularly. And, you know, I think that's a, it's a, it's a lost art sometimes of how do you go and have that conversation with a a person who doesn't even think they want to buy from you yet? They've got no interest in this, but realistically, in my entire sales career, I've never had a customer or prospect say no to someone who wants to come and learn about their business. Yep.
2: Could, can you remember that story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the guy in San Francisco who stole, sold one of the biggest deals ever at Salesforce, and he actually went and got a job there.
0: Yeah. So, this is, yeah, so, so this, is, this is a great story, right? So um, this at the time for about five or six years was the largest deal that Salesforce had ever done, and it was to – what was the insurance company called? Um,
1: State Farm, I
0: think. State farm. Yeah. And so state he farm. wanted to go and do a deal at state farm. And as part of it, he said, well, I need to, I, I need to genuinely understand where are their pain points. He went and not, he went and got a job at state farm. So he told them what he was doing and he said, listen, I'm going to come and work part time in your, in your call center. And I went, okay, great. Like sure. And they paid him and he did the metrics. He worked it for six months. Right. So, so the story goes. and I'm, you know, well, I'm paraphrasing now. Somebody else's anecdote, but this is a pretty well-known story. <laughs> and on the back of that, then I've worked yep. for six months. These are all the problems you have. Do you want to talk about? this? absolutely. Because leadership didn't know these things were happening. Didn't know their problems. Didn't know there were solutions to them. And for years, they were the largest customer at Salesforce by a country mile. And he built the biggest deal by yeah. a factor of. Two or three x, I believe, at the time, but it was the world's big, was the Bill's world's best ride along. Yeah, you know, but absolutely, it came, it's interesting. It came like, I guess uh, business.
1: There's, uh, I mean, there's so many anecdotes like that. I think you were alluding to it before. I think there was a certain garbage collection company um, that we were selling to, and uh, he got up at four a.m. and literally rode on yeah. the garbage trucks to understand right. the process yeah. from collecting through to the um, you know to the depot. That's um I don't I don't think every sales guy uh, would do that, but he was certainly successful because he knew the business and they and I think uh, there's a certain amount of respect he got because he was actually genuinely interested in the problem we were solving, not yeah. sort of uh putting it on a PowerPoint, putting it in practice.
0: It Becomes a different door opener when you say, "Hey, listen, I've got a six-month case study here. That I want to share with you. You didn't pay any money for, and I'm an expert in this in this technology space. Do you want to talk about it?" Yes, yeah, of course I do.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, it's a yeah. Pleasure.
0: Yes. But, so, Dan, you uh, we alluded before. You know, you've gone from BDR to to senior strat AE to running teams. Worked in big tech. Worked in small businesses. Mm-hmm. If you had to go back and and do a couple of things differently or, or, you know, what those key lessons out of all of that, what what do you (laughs) reckon
2: they'd be? It's a a really good question, Dan. And I think one of them, one of the biggest mistakes I made most, probably fairly recently, was not – was trying to to appease everybody, trying to – Trying to make sure that everybody was happy with what I was doing. I was I was afraid because of getting the job. I didn't really push back enough. I didn't push back and say, I've been here, I've done this, I know where this is going. We're not at the point where you think we're at. I think that was an important part. I should have pushed back there. You know, the company was in a great spot, really good position. And I think it needed a little bit more um it needed a little bit more insight, maybe it needed two or three voices like mine coming through Mm -hmm. to say, actually, we're not ready to get to this point right now. I mean, look, it was a hard time. You know, we had um, the industry changed. right? It was growth at all costs, and then it became building sustainable business, and we weren't at a point ready to build a sustainable business. And I think we all needed to understand where we were. So first, I should have pushed back and really, you know, Made sure that, and the reason I didn't push back is because I didn't have the actual underlying data. Yeah. And I think that's a really key thing, right, which is we think we're the smartest people in the room. But the reality is this has been done before. It's been done by many, many people earlier than us, smarter than us. So the data is out there. So being able to use this data, being educated, being knowledgeable in this space to say this is a sales cycle. It typically looks like this. This is how it, you got to, if you're going to sell a million dollar deal, you, these are the things that it has to fit to. It's going to yeah. take this long or it's, and it's going to need this many um, leads and it's going to need this many conversations and you're going to need this many teams and your team's going to be structured this way. And I think having that data and being knowledgeable on that is really important to push back. What would have been for me. Um, and just, you know, being able to have those conversations. And the second part is creating an environment in the exec team. It's, already, it's always great doing it in your team, in your sales team, but mm-hmm. creating an environment in the exec team where it's everyone's able to have these conversations. And these conversations are well thought out. We're moving in the right direction. You know, you're know, you not afraid to say something. It's just not going to get vetoed because someone has a bigger job title. Yeah. And I think that's an important part, yeah. that that, that, um, that senior build, that environment's got to live at the top. Because ultimately it's the top down that creates and defines the culture. Maybe that's values. Yeah.
0: What yeah. about going through your sales career? So if you think sure. about it as an IC, going back on, you know, what, what are the things you'd, you'd make sure you did more of or you'd do less of?
2: <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, like I explained earlier on, I've been through that journey where things are good, things are bad. And you've got to look at the times and the, and the fixes piece. I think the reality is you, Never stop learning. Never stop learning. Never stop getting, you know, too precious that you think you know everything. So never stop learning. Um, the other one is keep looking again at that data and those numbers. You know, there is no, there's no substitute for doing the effort, doing the time. There's no substitute for building the relationships. They'll last with you forever. Look at them as relationships for, um, more than just your current work environment. We live in Australia. Right? Mm-hmm. We're going to bump into these people forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's a big country and town. It's a big country town and we need to make sure we have these conversations, we respect our relationships and we can use them on and on. So have a view that whenever you speak to someone you're delivering trust and value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really important to them and communication. And constantly keep this open, right? You're doing a great job with this podcast. Be invisible. Keep talking. The reality is, you know, a, a relationship with a senior exec can't just exist because it's two days before the end of the quarter. Yes. Can't just exist. It's got to be no. almost normal. So look, I think doing the basics right, Dan, listening to myself a lot more, um, and listening to learning what's going on in, in what I'm doing and, um, yeah, I mean, I've always been lucky to work with really good people. So it's a team sport as much as you're the one with the, you're the head. It's certainly a team sport and everyone needs to come on that ride with you and you've got to, they've got to believe in you. They've got to want to help you. You've got the yeah. best SE, best CS team yeah. in the world. Well, yeah. let them want to work on your deals and no one else. Yep.
0: Now, we know we're getting kind of to the top of the hour, but I, I, we we did kind of mention this in uh, in the, the, the prep to this, it's on everyone's sort of general conversation at the moment. What are, for, for the the team predictions, AI plus sales
2: plus BDR, what are your thoughts? Mine, mine is a really good question. Um, I think that we just spoke a minute ago about the expertise of all the knowledge that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, you know, I wish I'd have had that extra knowledge to be able to make a better decision. AI's got that. So maybe it changes the job of the um, VP. Maybe that VP no longer becomes the person who's got the knowledge who's been around the block. Maybe they become somebody who is better at two things. One is selling, right? And then the second part is actually looking up <laughs> and enabling their team. Yep. So maybe it becomes, maybe you have two people in that organization that, One's the salesperson and one's the person to enable or getting the most from them Mm -hmm. or knows the the data models. I think that it no longer has to be one person at the top. And I think the other thing is there is going to be no substitute in the account exec place for people and good people. And I think that people in that space should get the credit they deserve. Sales is the best job. Sales management is great but it's not as good as it's not important to the company as the people doing the job. So therefore, start respecting that and start bringing that up that they should be the most highly paid people in the company because they're the ones who've got that relationship. They've built that network. If I want to go and sell to banks, who do I go and speak to? You know, I don't go and speak to, I want to make sure that that salesperson is the one who's connecting me to it and it's not just their knowledge of, you know, Revenue sh- structures and, you know, enablement strategies. It's someone who's actually out there and doing the sales piece. I'll pass that over though. Simon, what do you reckon?
0: That's wise words. AI,
1: I, I, look, I love that. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I'll just go back to Dan's comment there. It's, um, it's incredible. It's about doing the extra effort. Um, and I think that tie that into AI. I think look, for me, AI is an awesome aggregator of knowledge. And I think it's, um, you ask it the right question at the moment. We're pretty nascent, right? So we're asking it questions and we're getting a wealth of knowledge and content back. But I think it's going the extra mile to take the content and do something useful with it for your customer. Um, and I think, you know, I watch my 13 year old doing her homework and do I think AI will make her submit Better papers, possibly, but will she learn anything from it? Possibly not. Um, a similar thing I'd say to the the AE or the salesperson going out there trying to make a difference for their their prospect, sure, use the AI, use the data, and Dan, you mentioned it. I think the AI right now is a better aggregator of data or a faster aggregator of data and intelligence about a topic than we've ever had, mm-hmm. but you've got to put it in the hands of somebody that's going to go the extra mile with it. And I think that's what's different to an AE. Um, I like your thought about splitting the top. You know, your sales guy is the most important part of the business. I think I partially agree with you. I, mm-hmm. I think a, a poor sales team can destroy a business. Mm-hmm. A great sales team won't make just a brilliant business. I think you've got to lead, lead the charge. I think you've got some wonderfully focused individuals who are salespeople. Somebody needs to point them in the right direction and give them encouragement. Um, I mean, I'm talking to two Dans who are two salespeople, and, you, you know, sometimes your uh, egos are fragile, your motivation is limited, et cetera. You're going to need to have somebody to, to push that in the right direction. That's my two cents worth, and I think we've probably gone over. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll just add my past last bit before we wrap yeah. up. But it's, you know, AI is never going to replace humans. As in, I'm never going to have a long-term relationship with a with an AI. My customer is never going to be an AI. And it's and it's highly unlikely that you'll have everyone who's just run between two AIs talking to each other. Like, that's not the world. So people, you know, if I, if I break it down to the most basic transactions – it's going to be a, a, a commoditized conversation if my local coffee shop and the barista is an AI. I'm, I'm going to choose to go on just on who's human, who won my forks and forks and for a coffee, um, who's actually going to engage with me and understand me and my family and what history is and what did I do and cares about me for the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. If that's all replaced with, I can't see a world where, that's replaced with vending machines because they've been, those technologies have been around for a long time and, and it's never, ever worked. So I don't see the human aspect of within organisations and decision-making being completely replaced by AI. We have to learn to use it. We have to learn to, to become more functional with it. I mean, in, even, even in our sales careers, I recall when CRMs didn't exist. They were a foreign concept, right? Right. And that's now just become part and parcel of what you use to, to manage your, your flow of information. Well, AI will be, AI will probably become one of those things. What it's not going to not going to replace is your customer is still going to be a human. You're a human selling to them. The people you work with are humans. And how do I operate in that space? I've got a whole bunch of additional tools and they make me either more effective um, or they change where they operate. But at the end of all of these tools, there are still humans and i think you know dan you mentioned sales is one of the best roles in the world i agree it's one of the hardest roles in the world and pe- people stepping into sales need to understand you lose more than you win and there are very very few careers in which you lose significantly more than you than you win um and if you can deal with that like that's that's the bit that people get upset about in sales that that you lose so often and you've got to have a thick skin as a result of that if you can get through that, you can use AI, you can use the technology, then you will make a lot of money and you'll be successful and you'll have a great career. And it's, and it's fun. When you, when you win in sales, it's super fun. <laughs> it's gotta be fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. That's much awesome. two cents. Um, Simon, thanks for joining us. Dan, thanks for joining us as our guest today. Um, it's been a great chat. Um, for everyone listening out there, uh, wherever you are listening, please, uh, please subscribe or like, share this with your friends. If this has been interesting, share it with your colleagues. Um, if you have some recommendations of topics or people we'd like, you'd like us to talk to, or if you'd like to talk to us, um, please reach out. Um, we're obviously on LinkedIn, YouTube, there's a Facebook page. Uh, jump on, give us some comments, give us some feedback. We appreciate it. I'll talk to you, all, all you guys next time. Thanks so much. Thanks.